Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. And as you turn there, let me just say thank you. If you worked in vacation Bible school this week or helped in any way, uh, shape, fashion, or form, I want to say thank you to our, to our workers. And so those of you who served this week, would you do me a favor for just a moment? Would you just stand so that we can see you? If you served this week in vacation Bible school, would you stand? And congregation, tell them thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And there were so many others, and we are so grateful. We saw God do some marvelous things this week, and I'm thankful for these men and women that made that possible. I want to encourage you tonight to come back at 6 o'clock for our Vacation Bible School Family Night. And that service is important for a lot of reasons. Uh, you say, well, I don't have a child that was involved this week, or I don't have a grandchild that was involved this week. Well, these children are part of your family, aren't they not? Are they not? They're part of your family, and this is a special time for them, and they're going to get to show some of the things that they learned and sing songs and that sort of thing. You need to be here to encourage them. And so I want to extend that invitation to you, even if you have no other connection to Vacation Bible School. Help us encourage the next generation that God wants to reach and be here tonight to encourage them. We have been studying for the last several weeks the lost disciplines of the American church, areas where I believe that we have forgotten what it means to follow him as a church, areas that we are to be practicing, areas where we are called to be engaged as his children, his sons and daughters. And I fear that in losing them, we've lost much more than just discipline. We're losing so much more on our watch. And so this morning, we want to focus on the exercise of spiritual gifts, the exercise of spiritual gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the apostle writes, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are four uh, key sections of Scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, one of the ways that I remember them is, is uh, there's great similarity where these chapters show up. For example, there's a statement about gifts in Ephesians Four, as well as what we just read in 1 Peter 4. So what do they have in common? The number 4. So if you're wanting to think about spiritual gifts, those are two chapters where you can look, Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. Now think of the number 12. In Romans 12, there's a statement about spiritual gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, there's a statement about gifts. What do those chapters have in common? The number Twelve. So if you can remember the numbers 4 and 12, you're on your way to remembering where to look up some information about spiritual gifts. And the neat thing about 1 Corinthians 12 is it's not just one chapter, it's also chapters 13 and 14. There are six major chapters where spiritual gifts are referenced or discussed. So what would it look like if a church, any church, made a decision to never do another thing unless it was spirit-led and spirit-empowered. How different would the church be? Not just Wynn Baptist Church, but every church. If we determined we were not going to do anything apart from the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. If we determined that and made that decision this morning, very soon you and I 
would be talking about spiritual gifts. That would be the very next place we would go. We've talked about being filled with the Spirit and the essential nature of the fullness of the Spirit to be and to live as a Christian. We've talked about holiness and how important it is that as you and I draw near to God, we get serious about holiness, that my intimacy with God is conditioned on the seriousness with which I deal with sin and obedience in my life. And then um, we have been carefully uh, giving attention to these lost disciplines. And so now we come to spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Let me make three quick comments, I hope, about spiritual gifts, and then I want to get into the practical application. And, and listen, I was talking about this with someone this week, and I said, you know, the challenge of this particular series of messages, filling of the Spirit, holiness, uh, talking about um, the uh, uh, spending time alone with God and spiritual gifts, is as a, as a teacher, I could spend weeks on any one of these. We could. And spiritual gifts especially. We could spend so much time talking about spiritual gifts, but we want to get down to the essentials today. So here's the first thing I want you to know. Spiritual gifts are not natural talents, but they are supernatural abilities determined and distributed by the Holy Spirit. They are not talents, but they are supernatural abilities. In, in, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. What does that mean? It means you can be ignorant. Doesn't it? Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. It means you can be ignorant. And he doesn't want us to be ignorant. In other words, this business of spiritual gifts is not some extra lesson out there for super Christians. It is at the heart of what it means to be transformed by the gospel. We need to know about spiritual gifts. And when he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, the word he uses there, nematicon, describes anything that's of or from the Holy Spirit. Anything that's of or from the Holy Spirit. When the Bible uses the word spiritual, it is not in the sense in which I heard it in Southern California years ago. Well, he's a spiritual person. She's a spiritual person. And what they were saying is, well, they're, they're, uh, they're mystical or they're sensitive or they're particularly nice or gentle. Well, he's a spiritual soul. Always in Scripture, when spiritual is used, it is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these gifts that are of or come from the Holy Spirit. Now, talents and spiritual gifts can best be understood as coming to you as a Christian from two very different sources or ways. For example, a talent comes naturally. It, it's something that you are born with. And in that sense, it comes from God. But it's not the same as a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift comes not naturally, but supernaturally after you are born again. You don't have spiritual gifts if you're not born again. And so it comes after your salvation. Spiritual gifts are assigned by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. So you can use a spiritual gift, but you don't get to choose a spiritual gift. Now here's the second thing I want you to know. Spiritual gifts can be permanent or temporary. Spiritual gifts can be permanent or temporary. Some gifts are permanent. In other words, when you are saved, it becomes part of your birthright as a Christian. You are constituted with certain spiritual gifts. For example, in the Romans 12 passage, in verse 6, it says, Having 
then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. And then it mentions ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and mercy. All these gifts are being spoken of as something that we are possessing right now. And so some gifts are permanent or constituted, and every Christian that's here that knows Jesus, you have at least one of those permanent gifts. Now some gifts are not permanent, they're temporary or situational. They're given when you need them. And they are not always available to you. You say, well, what's an example of that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9, listen to this carefully. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And the emphasis there is on word. Wisdom is what kind of word it is. But the issue is this. At a certain moment in time, someone is given a word. Something comes to their mind. Direction, and in this case, wisdom to be applied to a certain need in the church or to a certain person that is being ministered to. A word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Again, the emphasis is on the word, the thing that comes to mind that is given by God in that moment to accomplish or meet a need. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, faith is being spoken here as a gift. And you can't be saved without faith, can you? I mean, in order to know Christ, you have to put your trust or your faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, faith is also a gift, and it can be a situational gift. There are times where you're thinking, I, don't, I could never trust God the way that man trusts God or the way that woman trusts God in that moment. And suddenly you find yourself in a situation, you don't have a choice, and God gives you that faith, and you sense that faith welling up inside of you. And in that moment, it is a gift. You may not have that the day before it happens. He also says, uh, to another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture is someone described as a healer. Nowhere. People experience healing. Individuals are used by God to heal. And in this particular context, it talks about gifts of healing. Not just one gift, but gifts of healing. And so there are individuals who, at a certain point or given in time, they feel led to pray. They feel led of God, they're given the direction, they're given the faith to pray for someone, and as that person or persons prays, God heals them. Do they possess healing powers at that point? Should they put up a tent and go on the road? Absolutely not. It is a situational gift. It is a gift that is temporary. So these are gifts to be used in a specific situation, and when the need is met, the gift is no longer available to that individual. We're much like the plumber who goes to a house with a toolbox. And let's say it's his first day on the job. And the toolbox that he's given is issued by the company. And so uh, he expects to find certain tools in that toolbox. And so he arrives at the job. He gets out of his truck. He doesn't know what he needs, but he grabs his toolbox. And he goes into the house. And he opens it, and he sees, oh, well, for this particular task, I need this certain tool. So he goes into the toolbox, and he opens up the toolbox. And there he finds what he needs. And, and because he's been a plumber for some time, he's not a rookie, he knows that whenever he goes to work on this particular task, he's got to have the, a particular set of tools, and he always has those tools with him. But let's say one day he shows up at a job, and he needs a particular tool, and he's been working now for several weeks, and he's been all through that toolbox. 
And, and, um, and he knows that he needs a tool that is not in his toolbox. Because he just looked in it yesterday and the day before. And the tool he knows he needs for this particular job, he doesn't have it. He doesn't possess it. It's not always with him. But you know what it is when the Holy Spirit lives inside a person? He is your greatest gift. And everything that you need to do, everything that God has called you to do, in any situation that you ever face, the Holy Spirit is there, and he will give it to you. And so, like that Christian plumber, he opens his toolbox, and everything he needs for the assignment God has given him is available to that Christian. And so that's how situational gifts function. Some gifts are both permanent and temporary. Now, the third thing I want you to hear is this. Spiritual gifts are a means to maturity, but not evidence of maturity. They're a way that you and I become mature, and as we will see, spiritual gifts are to be used so that we build each other up, not tear each other down. And so spiritual gifts are a means to maturity, but they are not evidence of maturity. Paul's concern with the people in Corinth is that they were majoring on minors. And if we had time to study 1 Corinthians carefully, I think you would see that. And Paul's working very hard. This was a divided church where people had gotten in the flesh, and they were saying, I'm of Apollos. Others were saying, I'm of Paul. And the super spiritual ones would say, I'm of Jesus. <laughs> and, and he was addressing those people. And some of those people were exercising phenomenal gifts. Others were not experiencing those phenomenal gifts. And so Jesus says, you know, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit? No one. Whether they have phenomenal gifting or more ordinary gifting, no one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit lives in him. The Holy Spirit lives inside every Christian. And so Paul's driving this stuff home and trying to help them understand. Spiritual giftedness, though, is no indicator of spiritual fruitfulness. Now, you know what spiritual fruit is, don't you? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kind. That's the character of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, his role in your life is to produce the character of Jesus Christ inside you. Now, Paul drills this home in chapter 13 as he talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, to speak what God brings to mind, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. I am nothing. Without growth in Christ-likeness, without growth in Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit, then we become carnal and divisive, Paul is saying. It leads to pride and arrogance. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21, he says, In the eye I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And that's what was happening in Corinth. People are looking at other Christians in the body saying, I don't need you. I don't need you here. Why don't you just take a hike? I mean, that's what they were doing. And he says, the eye can't say that to the hand, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. And what follows closely after pride and arrogance in this connection is the expectation that everybody should be like me. Everybody should think the way I do. Everybody should assess situations the way I do, respond to needs the way I do. And we call that gift projection. 
where whatever my particular gift is, I put it out on everybody else. And yet Paul says in verses 29 to 30, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And of course, those are rhetorical questions, and the answer to each one is no. No one has all the gifts, and no gift is given to every Christian. In the worst case, you have highly gifted men and women who experience moral failure. And how many times are we going to have to see that before we understand? There was a Bible teacher years ago named Fred Wood who used to say, the gifts are always greater than the man. Why is that true? Because the gifts come from whom? God. It's not a talent. It's a, it's a supernatural gifting from God. And so if I operate drawing on that supernatural gifting, well, really cool things are going to happen. And God is going to use me. God is going to speak through me. God is going to uh, meet needs through me, whatever my giftedness is. But that doesn't mean that I'm mature. That doesn't mean I'm growing in Christ-likeness. If a gifted man is not a growing man, he's always in grave danger of moral failure along the way. Always. And we can never deceive ourselves and think that because I'm gifted or somebody else is gifted, that they somehow had a corner on maturity. In fact, giftedness is absolutely no indicator of maturity. It should promote maturity, but it doesn't promise that a person, in fact, is mature. So here's the question that we want to answer over the next few minutes. How can I recognize and serve out of my giftedness? How can I do that? And remember, this is one of the lost disciplines of the Christian church in America. Because so much of what we do, we do because we put our heads together and we put our pocketbooks together and we say, well, I've got this idea and you've got that idea. And then we go out in our own strength with our talents and our own resources and we do what we can. But how much more could happen? How much more could God do if we turned to him and said, Jesus, whatever you have put in me, I want to live not naturally. I want to live supernaturally. I want to live with the giftedness that you put in me. And how can I discover what that is? How can I know what that is? Well, here's some helps that I think can guide you in that journey. First of all, check your relationship to the head of the body. There are different metaphors used in Scripture to describe the Christian church. Church is described as a building, for example, and we are stones. That's just one example. But you know, the most dominant way that the church is described is as a body. And a body is a great way to describe the church because there's so many different parts of the body that have different functions and that meet different needs in the body. But the key teaching that you and I have to understand when we see the church as a body is that Jesus is the head of the body. And for the body to be healthy, for the body to be what he intends it to be, the body has to be connected to the head and responsive to the direction and the life that the head gives to the body. I can't just go out and act independently. My, my walk with God is not just about me. Whatever gift I possess is really not given to me. It is given to the church. And I happen to be the, the holder of that gift. And God has called me to serve and use that gift, not out there under a tree meditating by myself, 
But he's called me to use that gift with the people of God, the body of Christ. Now, I'm never going to get there if I am disconnected from the head. If I'm not listening to him, if I'm not drawing life from him, if I'm not hearing him, if I'm not receiving direction from him, I'm never going to be that kind of contributing member of the body of Christ. I'm just not. Now, you know that a body that doesn't listen to the head is sick. You know that, don't you? When a human body is not responding to the direction of the head, we call that being sick. It's a disease. It's not good. It's not right. And, um, and you also know that a body without the head is dead. It's not just sick. It's just dead. And so we desperately need, if I'm serious about operating with the spiritual supernatural ability that God has given to me, I've got to do business with the head. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes, and he is the head of the body. It doesn't say he is like the head of the body. He is the head. He's no longer using a metaphor. He's saying something that is a truth, that's a reality. He is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead? Why? Why is he the head of the church? That in all things he may have the preeminence. Does he have all, in everything in your life, does he have preeminence? First place, in charge, calling the shots, saying, Don, go here. I'm going to do something with you if you go here today. Does he, does he have that preeminence with your time? Does he have that preeminence with your agenda? Does he have that preeminence with, with even in the moments when you're just sitting there doing nothing, guarding your thoughts, measuring your words? Are you connected intimately to him? Number two, God wants to help you do this. He wants you to be connected to him. So if you're serious about connecting to the head, then secondly, receive the equipping ministry of your pastors. Receive the equipping ministry of your pastors. You know, one of the great tragedies of most churches today is the pastor is the only person anyone expects to act like a minister. You realize that? The pastor is the only one everybody expects to act like a minister. And so he's called a minister. Instead of everybody being a minister, he's called the minister. Who's your minister? Well, that guy, he's the minister. The minister, here's what happens. The minister does the ministry. And his work, as he does the ministry, consists in enlisting and getting other people in the church to help him do that ministry. Typical church. Now, that would be like a football game, which it's coming up, isn't it? Glory. That would be like a football game, Kenneth, where all the coaches went to play on the field and the players when they're in the stands cheering you on. That'd be a little absurd, wouldn't it? And yet, that's what's happening in the American church. The truth is this. Members don't assist pastors to play in the ministry. Pastors are called to assist members to play and get it in the game. That's my calling. And that's a calling of every pastor on your staff. Listen to what God's Word said. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? To equip the saints. Now that word equip, if you've been a Bible scholar, you've been in church any length of time, you know that the word equip is a medical term, and it's used to describe a bone that's broken that needs to be set 
in proper alignment. And so if you use the analogy of the body and the head, what is a pastor's role? Not to be the head, but to help each member of the body connect to and have an intimate relationship with the head so that they can receive direction from him, so that they can receive life from him. It goes on, shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. Not to help them with ministry, (laughs) but for ministry to happen as they do it, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so properly understood, a pastor's role is not to do the ministry and for you to assist him in doing it. The pastor's role is to be your assistant, to assist you in doing what God has called you to do. Are you in the game? Are you in the game? If we understand Scripture properly, everybody gets to play. Are you playing? Are you serving? Well, serving out of your giftedness depends on your relationship to the head, on receiving the equipping work of your pastors. And then thirdly, here's what you need to do. Go where you are needed. Go where you are needed. Now, we have talked about spiritual gifts one other time here. And when I taught about it before, I said, you know, that there are ministry roles that we have. And and um, sometimes you may decide that you have a certain gift, and, um, and because of that, God has not called you to help keep bed babies, or whatever the case may be. The truth is, whatever gift you have can be used anywhere in the church. And the whole purpose of your gift is so that you can serve and meet needs in the body of Christ. Now, now there are primary ministries where you work out of your giftedness exclusively, and I'm going to say something about that in just a second. But there are also secondary roles, secondary areas of service where you serve because you are needed, not because you're gifted. And we have to have that kind of mentality that we're willing to serve in the body of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, a verse we read earlier, it says, as each has received a gift, look at, look at what it says, use it to serve one another. You've got a gift, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace. Now, this is the word most often used to describe spiritual gifts, charisma, or charismaton. And it's, it's a word related to grace. And it describes anything that has been received or that God has given out of his grace. And so a spiritual gift is certainly a charismaton. It's a, it's a work of God's grace. And that's why he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace grace. So picture this. Here we are this morning sitting here. There are needs all over this congregation, needs in the body of Christ. And the Spirit of God hovers over the church of God. And He's there, and He sees those needs. He knows what those needs are. And I believe with all my heart that what the Holy Spirit, what He wants to do is use you to meet needs in one another's life, whatever it may be. And imagine that. Here's the grace of God in great abundance hovering over every church, every people that names his name. The grace of God, all of his fullness, all of his power, all of his resources available to meet the needs in the body of Christ. He's just looking for somebody, somebody he can work through, somebody who will be a channel of that grace 
Somebody who'll say, use me. I want to be used to meet needs. So the next time someone is hurting or sick, and you know about it, and you're talking to them, maybe you went by to see them at their house, you're visiting them in the hospital, you know they're hurting, you know they're sick. And um, have you ever thought, maybe just pausing for a moment and saying, Lord, and I'm not saying that, say that out loud with that person that may freak them out, but say, Lord, do you want me to, what do you want me to do? And, and, and do you want me to pray for this person? And how do you want me to pray? And, and we know we're supposed to pray for the sick. We know that, don't we? We know that, don't we? Yeah, we're supposed to pray for the sick. I mean, it's written black and white in James. I can, I can show it to you. We're supposed to pray for the sick. And so, God, how do you want me to pray? And, and that person's sick. And what if, what if in that moment you took your hands out of your pockets and you went and you put your hands on that person and you said, oh, God, oh, God, would you heal my friend? Would you heal my brother? Would you heal my sister? There's a need. Is if you encounter a brother or sister who's discouraged or overwhelmed, maybe you need to grab them to say, hey, let's go get a Coke. Let's, let's go get a cup of coffee and just listen to them. Don't, don't try to teach them why they're in trouble necessarily. Don't try to give them a Sunday school lesson or a theological treatise on suffering. Just, just let them know you care and listen to them and see what the mercy of God might do through you. See what the mercy of God might do through you. Is someone struggling financially? You know, in this crazy world, a lot of people get in trouble financially. And maybe you, you become aware of that. You come across someone who obviously needs help. They're obviously in trouble. And maybe you just need to ask the Lord, Lord, that $10 bill that's burning a hole in my pocket, or the last 20 bucks that I've got to my name till payday, Lord, do you want me to give that to them? And maybe the Lord would move you to do that, to give to someone, to meet a need. And then you trust him to meet your need. The grace of God is infinite. And we need to minister out of his grace with faith, asking him to help us. You're struggling to understand a scripture. Maybe you're in a group and, and somebody does, has a question about something. You don't know the answer. And so you go home. And maybe you just need to pull out your Bible, and you need to think about it, and you need to read about it, and you need to pull out your concordance. You need to study about it. And maybe when you think you've learned something, you need to go and sit with that person and say, Here's, I've been reading about this. Look at this with me. Let's read this together. And maybe God will use you to teach them. Maybe someone's struggling with sin. And you need to pray with them. But before you pray with them, you might just ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything I need to say that could help this brother, that could help this sister in their struggle? And God may bring something to your mind. You say, you know, before we pray, before I pray for you, God has put on my heart just to say this to you. And it may be the very thing they need to gain victory. Because you are available to the mighty, overwhelming grace of God that was hovering over you at that moment. You just turned to him and you said, oh God, help me, help me. Go where you are needed. Go where you're needed. Don't go where you think you're particularly equipped. That's not bad. But when you see a need, if you see the need, respond to that need and see what God will do. Number four, last thing, recognize when God's Spirit is manifested. Recognize when God's Spirit is manifested. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 7, listen to what it says very carefully. There are diversities of gifts 
And that's charismaton. That's, these, are, these are things of grace that God gives, like we talked about. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. He's the one that distributes them. There are differences of ministries, and that's where we get serve or deacon from. There are differences of services or ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. These are energizings or workings inside a person. Different energizes and energizings and empowerings, but it's the same God who works, and there's the word again, that energizes and empowers all in all. So here he's describing spiritual gifts, ministries, special enablements or empowerings that God does to each one. In verse 7, then it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now go back to that picture of, of God hovering over the church. Whether it's a ministry of service, whether it's a spiritual gift, special ability that's supernatural in nature, whether, whether it's simply responding with the strength or the insight or the wisdom that God provides, here's the Spirit of God. And when that happens, no matter what you call it, when that happens, when He works in you and through you like that, it is a manifestation or an appearance of the Spirit of God. That is what we need in the church in America. People have seen what we can do. They need to see a manifestation of the power of God, of the Spirit of God. And through gifts of grace, through ministries, through special situational expressions of His power, He can do that. I love this word. The manifestation of the Spirit is given. You know, manifest, it comes from a Latin root. And I love this. Just the manifestation of the Spirit. Mani is Latin for hand. Fest is Latin for dancing, celebrating. And he said, when this happens, it is like the dancing hand of God appearing before the people of God. I don't know about you, but I want to see the dancing hand of God all over us, every one of us. I want us to be not a natural people, but a supernatural people a people that God uses and where we see him all the time doing things, where we know it's him. I'm not smart enough, we realize in hindsight, to have said something like that. I'm not powerful enough to have done something like that. I don't have the resource to do that. I'm not smart enough. But when God works in us and through us, wow. So spiritual gifts are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in the church. How can I know when God is working through me? First, Needs are met. Needs are met. Needs are met. In 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of what? The manifold grace of God. There it is. Grace of God. As I serve, I am a steward of the grace of God, and he is working through me, dispensing grace. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. I'm not telling you what I think. Speak, if you're going to speak and you believe it's what God wants you to say, speak as if it's from God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And the way I know that it's God is needs are met. Needs are met. Needs are met. Lives are changed. 
People are helped. If I think I'm a teacher, when I get through teaching, people should have learned something. So people think they're teachers, and nobody's learning. And so God works through your giftedness, and you want to watch for that. So if you know that needs are being met, you got a good clue that God's using you and he's using your giftedness. Second one, truth is heard. Truth is heard. In Ephesians 4, verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. In that gift passage of Ephesians 4, 15, the pastor's equipping members, and, the, and then what happens to the members? They're speaking the truth. They're speaking the truth. And um, I can know that God is at work if more and more my speech is marked by truth. Thirdly, love is experienced. Love is experienced. As you go on in Ephesians 4, it says, from, the ho- from whom, Jesus, the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for what? The edifying of itself in love, not knowledge. I know that I'm acting in terms of my spiritual gift if the people that I'm touching sense the love of God and the church as a whole is growing in love. And then last of all, lives are changed. The fourth one, lives are changed. You know, we ask little kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? And uh, the right answer is Jesus. And we, we ask them and we look for so many other things. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love. What do we want to accomplish by that? That we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I want to grow up to be like Jesus, don't you? And so what a difference it can make if one man even or one woman says, Lord, I'm tired doing it my own strength. I don't even know where to, where to begin. God, I'm here. And I want to connect with you. I want to be intimate with you. And then as you do that, you, uh, you turn to a pastor. Say, Pastor, just help me grow in my walk with God. Help me grow so that I can learn to hear his voice. Pastor, help me, teach me to pray. Help me, help me to make that connection. Teach me how to do 24-7 conversational prayer. Teach me how to have an internal dialogue with the Lord, no matter where I am or who I'm talking to. Equip me. And then you become aware of needs around you. And as you begin to see needs, not everybody sees what you see. You know that? Not everybody sees what you see. And you'll see needs that the person next to you will never see. And as God shows you those needs, and you say, well, I don't even know where to begin. Just get up and go. (laughs) Get up and go. There are times where I've been with people who are hurting so much, I don't even know what to say. Don't have a clue. But I got to go. I still got to go when he shows he makes it clear that there's a need. How will you respond to what God has said? Brother, sister in Christ. How will you respond to him? And, um, and I just would look at those last four things, and I would just ask myself, where am I? Where am I in that spectrum? Do I need to connect with the head? Is that where i got to start? Do I need to do that? Do I need to make a a different kind of perception of my pastors and what they're supposed to be doing for me. And maybe I need to draw on them in a different way. Uh, Am I seeing a need right now that I know God is prompting me to get involved in that need somehow? 
Maybe I don't even know fully what it is, but I'm going to go ahead and show up with my toolbox and see what God does. I'm just going to show up. Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm just going to show up and then say, help me, Jesus, my favorite prayer of all time. And it can be yours too. It's real simple. Help me, Jesus. God, help us. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for us. If you don't know Jesus today, he can change your life. He changed mine. He changed so many people who are here simply because we trusted him to. And I invite you today, if you don't know Christ, you want to give your life to him and turn from your life without God and turn to a new life with God. There'll be pastors standing here with me at the front. And they'll pray with you. They'll share scripture with you. They'll answer your questions about how a person can be forgiven for their sins forever and how their life can be changed. Father and God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us so clearly through it. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to be our guide as, as we respond to you. We commit this time for you to speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray.